What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Brendan Buckley, a drummer with an incredible resume that includes Shakira, Perry Farrell, Morrissey, Tegan and Sarah, Damian Rice, JJ Lynn, and many more. I gush all about his playing to his face in our chat, so I'll leave that there. But I would say he's one of the most articulate guests we've had in regards to setting up each of his choices. And because of that, this is one of my favorites. So buckle up or buckley up and enjoy this chat with Brendan Buckley. Cheers. All right. So what was your mindset going into making this list? Oh, so yeah, I've listened to enough of your episodes where people complain about how difficult it is and how you have a a list of a thousand things that you have to narrow it down. So if I sat there and, and I asked myself, what are the most influential drummers or records of all time for me, it'd be impossible. So I decided to do the opposite and pick five songs that bring me joy when I listen to them. It's kind of the Mary Kondo thing where, <laughs> yes, I have a lot of drummers that have influenced me over the over the years, but I decided to just pick songs that whenever I hear them, I'm like, yes, I love this. And that was, uh, it simplified it a lot for me. It would make it more fun for both you and me. Yeah. Follow the dopamine. I love it. <laughs> um, and then before we get into your top five, I do want to talk about your, I mean, this, this podcast is about creativity and influences and and you've been doing this thing, this collaboration called Drummer Plus Drummer, and you get to work with all the people that are basically talked about on this show. Um, so can you talk about what that is? Uh, what was the the spawn of that and all that jazz? Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for even bringing it up. Yeah, I guess I'm a fan of drummers and I have a lot of drummer friends. And I also have a lot of drummer friends who have home studios and are pretty darn good at recording themselves. So during the pandemic, I asked several drummer friends of mine who had home studios if they wouldn't mind doing a little duet project with me. It started out real simple. I tried to keep it enjoyable and fun and listenable. And uh, now we've, I think I just did my 65th or 66th duet or something. And uh, Damn. I wound up releasing them on YouTube and Instagram uh, weekly. Uh, and then I package them into a couple records which can be listened to on spotify apple music things like that i tried to for a while just to keep myself busy and artistically inspired during the pandemic i would do one a week every week on on a monday and then when the uh, lockdown was over and we all started making music again with other people i decided to slow it down to maybe one a month now but i still do them because they're fun and i still love collaborating with other drummers and i think it's uh it's fun because i try to do it in a, a musical way where i imagine what if this person and i were actually set up in a dive bar somewhere together two drum sets you know what would we play and have fun to, doing together for a set and i try to treat it like that is it usually you start with a beat and send it to them or vice versa it's usually vice versa mm -hmm. and i did it that way on purpose because I did not. I, I basically, whenever I ask any of my friends to do this, I want it to be as easy as possible for them. So I, I would just say to them, listen, just set up a camera, turn on your studio and just play whatever comes to mind and send it to me. I'll work with it. If you want to send me like you playing brushes, that's good enough. If you want to play boom, pa, boom, boom, pa, that's great. I'll, if you want to do a freaky drum solo, I'll figure out what to do with that, too. But I don't want to. I don't want to send someone. So, okay, this is my idea. So it's a nine-eight song go thing, and it transitions into this whole free form. I don't want to make them have to learn anything. So it's been a lot easier for me just to say, "You just you do you, send it to me, and I'll, I'll create something out of it." 
And uh, I don't know if you ever saw the Butch one where he played, uh, Butch Norton played a washing machine with mallets. Oh, I don't know if I saw that one, no. <laughs> That's just a good example of him saying, how about this? I'm like, perfect, yeah. perfect. I'll, I can work with that. And so this is a little unique for you because you play so many different styles, but when you do sit down in front of a kit, what is the subconscious thing that your body just wants to play? Huh. It's always different, but sometimes I feel like playing super softly mm. and I move around the kit with doubles and rolls and things softly. Sometimes I want to just, I don't know, just go berserk around the kit just for fun. And sometimes I play grooves and sometimes I play solos. I'll often put on headphones and play along with records still like we did in high school. Sometimes I don't play along with a click or anything, and I don't even play time. I play free form, uh, which is a, it's interesting because as drummers, we're hardly ever asked to do that. As a working drummer, almost never does someone say, oh, uh, hop on those drums and just play some noises out of time. <laughs> yeah. you know? But it, it's a fun challenge to actually do that and try to make music. It's one of my favorite things to do at drum clinics now because I'm, I used to do drum clinics where I'd have seven kick-ass tracks that I was going to play along with and they're oh, yeah. intricate. And now I'm like, maybe it'd be a lot of fun just to sit down and just make some music instead, uh, just with, with drums and see what I can come up with. I know there's something I like to do sometimes on the drum set, which is I will start with only one sound source at a time. Like say, I'll only start on the floor, Tom, and I'll play that for five minutes. And then I'll move that over to, and I'll add one drum at a time, uh, floor tom and rack tom, floor tom, rack tom, snare drum with the snares off. Then we'll add a kick in there. Then we'll start adding ride cymbal. And I feel like if you do that for 30 minutes, it builds in a nice way where you get really comfortable with your drum set, but in a musical way also, as opposed to starting with everything at once. This is a little off topic, but the last thing I'll say before we go into your five is one of the reasons I love watching your videos, it's like therapeutic watching you because your technique seems so ergonomically rational. It's so it's so pleasing to watch you because I feel like you have just such good technique. You're always so relaxed. Yeah, I guess there, there's no question there. I just people, if you don't know Brendan, go watch him and you'll see exactly what I mean. And it's, uh, it's an inspiration for sure. Because then I go and watch videos of myself and I'm like, dude, you're so tense, get your posture better, work on your sticking, all that jazz. But um, kudos to you for all the hard work you put into that. Well, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it is. it does take some work, like anything, like doing yoga or anything. It takes a little bit of work. But I mean, for a long time ago, I was very inspired with very relaxed drummers. I used to love watching Omar Hakim play. And if you ever watch him play, uh, he sits the way he sits, the way he moves around the kit is just beautiful. And I would look at a lot of drummers that way. Some drummers I love are relaxed, but they have crappy posture. Some drummers have good posture, but they look really tense. They're, they're different things. The way your arms move is one thing. The way you sit is another thing. The way you breathe is another thing. How flexible you are between your dynamics, you know, going from whisper quiet to, you know, screechingly loud back and forth is another thing. So you can work on all those topics separately. Posture is an important one. One, because you don't want to be old and have lower back pain. But two, if you lean forward all the time, you're always putting weight on top of your pedals, mm. you know, on top of your thighs, on top of your knees, on top of your pedals. So it actually will little by little slow down your feet and slow down what your thighs are trying to do. And I feel like sitting up straight allows your feet to move a little more freely. I like being able to move around the kit like from left to right very easily. Also, I used to do Tai Chi years ago. So you do a lot of this back and forth movement from left to right. And then, yeah, strokes. I mean, every drummer who, who's ever taken lessons or not taken lessons has worked on his wrist, finger, elbow, shoulder control with, with uh, playing the drums. And there's a lot of different theories out there. And I tried all of them. And mm. um, now I'm just trying to make music and think very little about technique. Uh, but yeah. All right, well, let's just hop into your top five. And so I'm going to try not to butcher all these names. And if I do, please correct me because I don't want to insult uh, these lovely artists. But um, the album is Outlandos de Amor. <laughs> I already messed up the first one. Outlandos de Amor. Uh, release year is uh, 1978. The artist is The Police. I know how to pronounce that one. The song choice is Can't Stand Losing You. And the drummer is Stuart Copeland. So either correct me or talk about why Stuart Copeland on this track was so inspiring. 
I think he did a uh, stellar job Thank introducing you. that track. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I must, it's almost absolutely required for me to always answer Stuart Copeland if someone asks me, uh, who are you into growing up? Or who's one of your favorite drummers? That one, there's always like a top 10 or a top five, but he's always in there because I loved Stuart Copeland when I was young. I still do. But something about the way he played the drums when I was a kid really hit me. It resonated. And when I got a lot older and would go back and listen, I, I think, wow, that was really amazing what he accomplished, too. The police had five records with I think they did it over the course of about five years. And with every album, every single song had a unique beat. And I think that's pretty hard. Uh, I think almost no one can do that. And he managed to do that. And they were also a top 40 arena selling pop rock band. So he did really quirky, unique, unusual approaches to his drums and still managed to get these songs on the radio and didn't turn the band around. <laughs> I, I also picked this song because this is one of the songs on their first record. I think it was the second single off their first album. So this was kind of before he got his full signature sound with the really cranked up rack toms and the crank snare and the octobonds and the splash cymbals. This is a little bit before that. This is when the, they were just putting a band together and just trying to record their first record. So you hear all of the things that became his signature approaches and licks, but on like a, a much simpler drum set that's a little more low, lower tuned. I'm, I know that other people have submitted Stuart Copeland songs on this show, but this one I think is fun to check out because it kind of has everything in one song. It has his really cool flams on beat four, his hi-hat work, which is signature, his little cross stick reggae stuff. In the chorus, he goes to that punk beat that he does a lot, which is crashes on weird beats. Oh, the verse is is turned around the time. So it's one, two, three, four. One and two, three. Ka, do, do. Ka, do, do. Ka, one, do, do. Ka. So no beat one, which would throw a lot of bands, but it's one and two, three, four. One and two, three, four. Oh, at the very end, he does this thing where he starts playing the rack tom on beat one as part of the group, like which is something he did later on on um, uh, Messages in a Bottle. As you can see by my excitement, I'm a Stuart yeah. Copeland nerd. This is good. So I, I, I just, I love his drumming. And I said I could pick, a, I don't know, dozens of different songs, but I, I picked this one because it was early and it sounds kind of like he was just getting his signature thing together. Hell yeah. That's a great intro for this song. So here we go. Can't stand losing you. He always does those crash symbols on beat four. I love that the guitar knows to just stay out of the way. Someone has to play beat one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the whole song so we got about a minute left so I won't cry. Be sorry when I'm dead. All this will 
Um, all right, so number two, a Triology, uh, released years 1995. The artist is Kenny Garrett. The song choice is Wayne's Thang. And the drummer is Brian Blade. So take it away, then we'll listen to Mr. Blade. Okay, Brian Blade. I know he's also been a choice on this show before. He is incredible. Uh, his spirit is incredible on the drums. If you ever go to see him live in any group that he plays in, if you're a drummer or not a drummer, you will be spiritually moved by the way he approaches the drum set. It is uh, There's so much soul and joy in what he evokes out of the music he's making and the music he's making with the people on stage with him. So he's not only a great jazz drummer, but he's a great musician in general. And he's has one of my favorite touches, just the way he touches the drums, the, the tones he gets out of them at such a whisper quiet volume, and then slamming, and then back to whisper again. His phrasing is incredible. Every time he does a fill and it comes out on some odd beat, I'm like, how did he think of that? He's got a fantastic swing, either up-tempo or super slow and shuffly. He's from New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm not sure if it's New Orleans, but I know he's from New Louisiana. So he's kind of um, part of that uh, upbringing. And I first heard him play on a Joshua Redman record in 19... I can't remember. It might be 1994. It's called Mood Swings. Joshua Redman is a sax player. And he had a quartet. I heard this band. And then they were playing in Miami. I was going to school in Miami at the time. And I went to see this quartet play and it was so good. The drumming was so good. The show was so good that I was freaking out. I jumped up on stage afterwards just to say hi to him as he was packing up his drums. And I've been a fan ever since. I've seen him play a bunch. And he has a really good uh, solo project uh, called The Fellowship. So if you ever want to uh, look on any of your streaming platforms for Br Brian Blade Fellowship, it's a very unique approach to instrumental jazz music. It doesn't sound like anything else out there. So this track in particular is just super funky because it's a little bit groove, a little bit jazz. It's a trio. It's just alto sax, upright bass, and drums. It starts off with a drum beat, which is cool. And Kenny Garrett is a sax, alto sax player that played with Miles in the 80s. And uh, this was a, a pretty cool album. It's very stripped down stacks upright bass and drums there's no piano no guitar no other instruments and i remember getting this record and it freaked me out how good it was and this track particular stuck out so we can check it out those crash symbols on beat four just liven up my day. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think someone said on a recent podcast they were saying how Brian Blade can make any crash cymbal sound like there's compression on it. Oh, yeah. All right, so number three, the album's Vivid. The release here's 19. Well, I guess I should ask you, by the way, were these in any particular order of how they were introduced to you, or was it just Stream of Consciousness 5 that made you happy? Yeah, I, I even went as far as took everything out of chronological order too. I love Because it. I'm like, let me just do everything the wrong way on this show. <laughs> so uh, I, I didn't do it in chronological order or how it impacted me or the year I heard it. I just picked five songs and put them in the order that I wanted to hear them. So this is number I love three. It. <laughs> hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye I love it. Number three, <laughs> slash five, slash two, slash one. Yeah, um, exactly. Go ahead. So here's the album. Uh, the album's Vivid. The release series 1988. The artist is Living Color. The song choice is Cult of Personality. And uh, Will Calhoun on drums. So take it away. Well, um, this album came out in the late 80s. I was watching a ton of MTV at the time when they used to play music videos all day long, every day. If you were a music lover and a drum lover, you can see awesome stuff and uh you can watch 120 minutes on sunday night where they played all the alternative stuff they had the headbangers ball they had all this great music and i was very into metal very into punk rock very into alternative music yeah i remember when this video came out and i saw it and i'm like wow and um just the first fill with these little kick drum triplets i was like wow there's a lot of good stuff in this. Um, he does that that little interplay between the ride cymbal and the left hand on the open hi-hat, which a couple of years later, Dave Abruzzi was doing with uh, Pearl Jam. You know, these six-tuplet triplet, uh, six-tuplet fills around the toms, kind of like John Bonham. A lot of those. He's using electronic samples. He had a drum cat, and he was sampling all these quotes. All sorts of cool things are happening in this band, and uh, the end it, go, it goes in this kind of almost double time section in uh, in, th in six four basically it changes six four and then the the last riff is in five. Da -da 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 so as a music nerd as a kid, I was like, wow, <laughs> all these cool things happening, and they were rocking out. And I saw them live a couple times. I saw them at the uh, the first Lollapalooza. I think they went on right before. Jane's Addiction. I think it was Nine Inch Nails, Living Color, Jane's Addiction. And um, it was incredible. And yeah, and then I saw him maybe a couple years later. He had this other band, a side project called Jungle Funk, with, with had, had this singer named Vinks, who was his percussionist vocalist. He used to play a lot with Sting. And uh, the bassist from Living Color, Doug Wimbish, 
I saw them once when I was in Australia, just randomly walked into a bar and they were playing. And he had all these electronics uh, with looping pedals way before people were doing any of that looping stuff. He was doing it with his percussion. At the time, I was like, man, this guy is badass. And then now if I'm ever someplace and this song comes on, I'm like, yep, I start air drumming, which is why I just picked this because it almost reminds me of an era more than this band or this song or this drummer. It reminds me of an era where I was just listening to so much drums, Soundgarden, Jane's Addiction. I mean, Matt Cameron, Steve, Steve Perkins, all these guys. It's this this era of music that I love so much. And uh, this song brings that out of me. Well, let's just move on to number four. And so the album is One Trick Pony. The release here is 1980. The artist is Paul Simon. I love the cover of this record. And the song choice is Late in the Evening. The drummer's Mr. Steve Gadd. So take it away. Yeah, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Steve Gadd before, but he's uh, he's this <laughs> obscure kid. drummer. He's a young kid, just came out. Now, uh, so kind of like what I said earlier about Stuart Copeland being always in my top five or whatever. Steve Gadd's always in my top three. He is, his drumming means so much to me. His career, his sound, his pocket, his musicality, his diversity, everything about him, it really, really speaks to me. It, it would be hard for me to just pick one song that that he did that that I everyone would say maybe uh, 50 Ways to Leave You Love or, or the solo on Asia or so many other things. But I love this song. Because I love the pattern on this song. I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but it is his classic. It's his classic Mozambique Latin rhythm that he plays on a ton of stuff. This he plays that on a lot of stuff. He's managed to squeeze that on on a lot of different tracks, but he does it differently on this song. Apparently, the story is he he would use two sticks in his right hand, two sticks in his left hand. And he played the, the rims of the floor toms with the right hand playing that Mozambique bell pattern. And his left hand would be alternating between the toms going boom, 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 bo
And uh, it's just such a fun, infectious beat to learn, to play, to listen to, to jam, to sound check. Whenever any, any front house engineer says, okay, uh, play a little bit of the drums, I just play this beat because it's, it's so much oh, more nice. fun than going, boo, pa, boo, boo, pa, boo. I don't want to play that anymore at a sound yeah. check. So I play something different. And um, it, there's some overdubs that happen here, but uh, basically every now and then he'll move the bell, the bell pattern to the ride bell. Every now and then he'll play it on a cowbell. But his right hand moves around a little bit, and the left hand's playing the toms. And there are just these super funky fills that he throws in every eight or sixteen bars. Just crazy funky. One of them is um, he end up, he end up, he end up, he end up. No downbeats, just uh, the three sixteenth note upbeats, like And when I was a kid, I heard that. I'm like, I don't know how to do that without messing that up. Like just playing like all the upbeats only. And then there's a couple like those kind of fills too. Got the signature fill from this song. He does it a couple times. Um, it's just a badass track. It just feels great. Hell yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Here's late in the evening. This is fun. Another fill. Then I learned to play some beat guitar. I was underage in this funky bar, and I stepped outside to smoke myself a J. And when I come back to the room, everybody just seemed to move, and I turned my amp up loud, and I began to play. And it was late in the evening, and I blew that room away. There we go. Very inspiring. And you described that well and how to approach that song from a technical standpoint. So thank you. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan, obviously, of his drumming, and I've checked out a lot of it. He played a long time with Paul Simon, uh, a long time with Eric Clapton. There's a live concert of Eric Clapton in Hyde Park. I think it was 1996 or something. It's incredible. You should, you should look it up. He sounds, Dad sounds so good on that concert. And uh, what else did he do? I mean, he did um, obviously all his Chick Corea stuff that he did, his Steely Dan stuff. What am I leaving out? Uh, James Taylor. Yeah, those are some of his biggest gigs he does. I catch him playing all the time when he plays in town. I've gotten to meet him a couple times. He was super nice. And he has my favorite time feel. Like I, I joke with my drummer friends that I feel like if he just picked up a fork and a knife and dropped them on the table, it would be the funkiest drop <laughs> of a fork and knife ever. It would just like it would feel so good. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, I've only seen him once and it was, I can't believe it, almost a year ago now, but it's, I forget the jazz club, it's in downtown Hollywood, but it was with his quartet and- uh, Catalina. Yeah, exactly. He had a residency, I think of two or three nights down there last February and he still got it. He's still just as as quick and as powerful as you'd imagine him to be, so. Yeah, he's great. 
All right. So number five, uh, Brasilaro. <laughs> That's not even close, maybe. What is it? Brasilero. There you go. That. It came out in 92. The artist is uh, Sergio Mendez. The song choice is, oh my gosh, it's so small. <laughs> How about you just do it? <laughs> What's the name Magalena. of the song? Yes, Magalena. And the drummer is Mr. Brown. <laughs> yeah, Carlinhos uh, Brown. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, got through that one. All right. So what about this track uh, really, really moved you? <laughs> uh, well, when you hear it, you'll know. But uh, I'll, I'll, to set it up, I'll say that I was living in Miami. I was studying at the University of Miami. And I was surrounded by jazz, fusion music, rock music, but also that heavy Latin scene that Miami has that's intrinsic to living in Miami. All the Cuban music, Puerto Rican music, Dominican music, and then all the South American influence, you know, Colombian, Venezuelan, and Brazilian. And Brazilian music is so different than all other Latin music. They speak Portuguese. There are different rhythms from there. Things like samba and um, bossa nova, bial, all these different rhythms that are only from that country. And I had to learn all this because when I was growing up in New Jersey, Latin music was Latin music. I'm like, oh, you're playing rock music, funk music, or Latin music. And then I moved to Miami and I realized you have to know every little subdivision of where it came from and what separates us from the other rhythms uh, to do it justice. So it was a big education for me. Although I enjoyed learning all of these different cultures and Latin rhythms, the first one that really spoke to me was Brazilian music. It was just the rhythms, the joy, the groove, the swing, the funk, the sounds, everything about it really, really lit a fire in me. And uh, so I, I went down this rabbit hole of just chasing all these different Brazilian artists and Brazilian drummers and everything. And I do remember a, a vocalist playing me this record, this singer that I was working with. She said, have you heard this record yet? And she played it for me and I was blown away. And um, so Carlinhos Brown is a percussionist, vocalist, artist, very famous from Brazil. He He's from this area called Bahia, Salvador Bahia, which is known for its percussion. Uh, they have a lot of African Brazilian influence in their music, uh, a lot of cool tribal rhythms. He had a band for a while called, um, what was it called? Tribalistas. Tribalistas with uh, Marisa Monchi and uh, Arnaldo uh, Antunes. This guy is great. He's just, this rhythm is insane. If you're ever in a club in Miami, uh, like a DJ disco club, and when they play this song, the place goes berserk. And I should say that it's also, what was fun about being in Miami was that I would go out and play gigs a lot, but I'd also go out just to clubs and listen to music and there is an element and there is something you can learn just by being in a room and watching DJs drop different songs and watching people react and what really captures people. And so I love going to see live drummers as, and I, but I also like going out and just hanging out at a, a club and listening to the music. And I remember this song always kills and um, it starts off with just voice and triangle, which is a, popular instrument for grooves up in the northern part of Brazil and then it kicks in about halfway through and it's pretty insane. Vem magalenha rojão traz a lenha pro fogão vem fazer armação hoje é um dia de sol alegria de coió é curtir o verão
so cool. Sorry to cut you off when you were grooving there, but no, it's okay. Um, all right. So I do have, I mean, I will list for everyone listening. I will list all these in the show notes. Cause you gave me a lot of, um, other tracks, which is amazing. But for the sake of time, I just arbitrarily chose two. I hope you're okay with the two I chose. So let's, let's go to uh, Carlos Vega and it's a country road on James Taylor's live from 1993. So why was that one of your honorable mentions and maybe why didn't it make the cut, but take it away. Okay. Carlos Vega, another drummer who totally blew me away when I saw him live. I'd known his name. He was part of that clique. He passed away. Um, he, uh, uh, but he uh, was part of that clique of the Jeff Picaro, Vinnie Caliuta uh, guys of LA who did tons of sessions, but also had these hidden chops that you never knew about. I, I'd heard him on various recordings, but it was really hard to tell like what he could do because he was so musical and so simple all the time. He played a lot of ballads in the studio. And then I remember maybe this was... Uh, maybe it was 1994 or I can't remember the year, but James Taylor was on tour and a couple friends of mine said, Hey, let's go see James Taylor live. And I'm like, mm, it's kind of not my thing. And it's a little too folky for me at the time. I was into nine inch nails and things like that. So like, they were like, trust me, you have to go see this band. His band is amazing. I'm like, eh. So I went to see James Taylor live and I was absolutely blown away by how good the show was. The songs, the singing, the band was insane. Michael Landau on guitar, Jimmy Johnson on bass, Don Grolnick on keys, and this guy, Carlos Vega, who he was the first guy I ever heard make those multi-rods sound good. Usually that was what you used when your drummer was too loud, you would use those. But I mean, he used them and they sounded so good. He had a little two congas set up to his left and he would play sometimes left-hand conga and right-hand groove. Um, he had this wicked feel, so laid back, so musical. It really impacted me. I stole so much from just watching him play once and said, I want to approach music the way he's approaching music. It feels so good. It sounds so good. I need to rethink what I'm doing. And then this live album from that tour came out. And there's one song that just kind of percolates all the way through. It just simmers. And and then about, I can't remember the minute marking, he just does a like um, eight bar drum solo. And it's the best drum solo ever. I'm not that people might argue, but I'm going to go today. I'll say this is the best drum solo ever. And uh, it's just drums and vocals. And it's crazy good, just super funky. And we should probably see if we can skip ahead and find it somewhere. It is fantastic. That solo means so much to me. Everything that happened there. So good. So good. And like people like to talk about feel like, oh, how do you lay back here? I'm trying to play a little behind to be here. I want to be on the beat. And and they, they mess with metronomes. Just listen to that. That is <laughs> that is how to play laid back right there. Nothing's slowing down, but it's laid back. And it feels so big and relaxed and comfy. Even... It's like, now's the drum feature. It doesn't speed up. It's still super laid back. And he throws in all these licks that there's, I mean, there's that Gad, Radha McHugh lick. There's a little Dennis Chambers ride cymbal thing. Um, so much cool stuff. Um, I love that. I would just listen to that little drum section on loop for a while. I, I, I transcribed it, everything. I love great. it. Great. Yeah. So Carlos Vega. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's end with The Cure. So this is Boris Williams playing Icing Sugar on The Cure's Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me record. And yeah, talk about why uh, why you picked this, and then we'll listen to it, and then I'll let you get back to your, uh, your evening. Okay, cool. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is part of 
I just kept on writing choices because when you asked me to pick five and then you said, are there any honorable mentions? And I listed another dozen. So <laughs> yes, this just did. happens. And it could have been a different dozen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I do remember at a time where I really, really liked The Cure and I really, really liked their drum parts uh, as a youth. Uh, they've had several drummers over the year, years, at least uh, Lowell Tolhurst, uh, Boris Williams, and uh, a couple other guys, at least two or three other drummers. And they're all great. But this guy, Boris Williams, had a really great approach to the drums. And he would come up with these patterns. And they would just, they were like, they could be like eight bar patterns. And he would play them for 13 minutes. And they were always kind of in their own world, like these crazy tom parts with wood blocks and clap sounds and everything. And he would just play them kind of like a long machine loop, kind of like, um, I don't know, I, I heard one of your podcasts where you're talking about the guy from Can. similar approach. The guy from Can would just play these loops, these mechanical industrial sounding loops on the drums. And I, it really spoke to me how how this guy Boris would play these these drum parts. He'd create, he'd compose a drum part, and then that would be it for the song. And sometimes it, it almost sounds like it might not even go with the rest of the music. He just came up with a beat, and this is the beat for the song. It's weird how there's so many ways to approach drumming, right? You know that. We all know that. You listen to Brian Blade. He's just free-forming, just going with his gut. And then there's other guys who sound very methodical, like they really sat down and composed their drum part from top to bottom. And I think this drummer does that. And you can hear him on, uh, he's a drummer on Disintegration, which is probably maybe their biggest record. Uh, but he was also on the two previous ones. He was on Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and the one uh, Head on the Door. Great record. And then he was on the one after this, t- after Disintegration called Wish. So I think he was on four albums and they're all, the drum parts are killer. Killer drum parts, cool drum tones. I don't even remember which song I picked, but I just picked a song from him that has a bunch of probably toms in it or something. Yeah, Icing Sugar. Here we go. Well, that's your top five plus some honorable mentions. And like I said, I am going to be putting all the ones I haven't mentioned in the show notes. So everyone go check that out. But so you are across the pond uh, working on some stuff. So I know it's it's late for you there. So first of all, thanks for talking to me after a long day of, I'm assuming, recording drums. So, yeah, um, it's okay. It's okay. We're here. I'm here in this studio in France. So uh, I've been here for, uh, I guess, about a month so far. I'll be here for another month. And I really appreciate you reaching out and waiting for me to find a hole in my schedule. And I appreciate that. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, do you have any, I, I, sometimes people reluctantly say, okay, I'll talk about it, but do you have anything you want to promote right now that I can give you the platform for people to check out or tell where people can find you and then just kind of search for themselves? Well, I, it's nice of you to offer. I don't, I'm not a good salesman, but, uh, I would say that, 
uh, go check out all the songs we talked about today. And <laughs> that, that, that would make me happy if you, if you just did that and, uh, keep listening to this podcast. Cause I think you're doing great stuff and you're interviewing really cool people and oh, it's a you. fun hang. It's a fun hang to just put on this podcast and go for a bike ride or a drive and listen to drummers chat. And as far as me personally, you already mentioned the, that drummer plus drummer duet series I do. So if anyone wants to check those out, that's cool. It's filled with some of my favorite uh, buddies in in the music world. And other than that, I mean, I'm very reachable. I have a website, brendanbuckley.com. If anyone ever wants to take drum lessons uh, in person or over the internet, I do that. I do that. I teach. And I chat about drums often if anyone wants to reach out and nerd out on drums. And other than that, yeah, I'll, I'll be on tour this year with Morrissey if anyone wants to come out to any of the shows. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.